All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Alligator Sports Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Henry. As always, I've got Jackson with me. This is the December 8th edition of the podcast, and we're recording it this morning, and we have, are you sports editor still? I'm still going to call you sports editor, Ryan Haley with us. I guess like acting sports editor, I would say. I mean, because like it, it's it's kind of weird because like Stephen has passed editor in chief in his Twitter bio. So I guess I'm like former sports editor, but I'm also like acting sports editor. You're still going to edit my basketball gamer tonight. So you are a sports editor in my mind. That's a Thursday game, isn't it? No, it's tonight. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> the two days off as sports editor, he's already forgotten about the schedule of games. Listen, listen. You think I, you think I remember the schedule of games when things happen? I just saw, you know how many times this, this is probably great job this is going on here. Do you know how many times this semester someone like tweeted like, ah, I'm here for this game. Follow me for live updates. And I'm like, ah, great. Didn't know I mean, that was I, happening. The amount of games, every swimming event, yeah, every I'm sorry, dude. Every swim and dive meet, every single one. <laughs> and there are mornings I woke up and I was like, dang, <laughs> there's swim today. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah, like you're like you're pre the week. I remember the weekend, a vivid memory of this the weekend of the LSU trip. I like went down with uh, this is not the way we wanted to start the podcast. I'm sorry. Um, that's fine. Uh, Zach, I was traveling at um, Baton Rouge for the LSU game, Michael Hull and Zach Huber. And I've been editing and posting stories from a hotspot on my computer on the way there. And I posted four stories and I go to put my laptop away. And Jackson's like, hey, dive pre is in drive. And I'm like, this is a diving meet tomorrow? Okay, that one specifically is because they added it like the week of the meet. No, I they know. Like, oh, by the way, we're going to Miami. And I was like, cool. But I was like, are you kidding that. me? <laughs> Yeah, there is uh, there is a men's basketball game tonight. Look at that against UNF. Woo! This is what the pre's do. They make me know what's happening the day before it happens. Yeah, um, you you say no pre's, and I'm just like, all right, I'm just gonna show up at the game. Yeah, do that, Alrighty. please. All right, now let's get to what we intended to talk about today. Yes, today we're doing a deep dive on Billy Napier at Florida. What deep his staff is going to look like. What his offense is going to look like. Ryan already has kind of an article, not kind of an article. He does have an article that kind of outlines this already, but we're going to go a little deeper with that. Kind um, of an article. Ryan kind of has an article or something. I don't. It, it kind of sucks. So, yeah, but it's there. Sorry. Yeah. Pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Just I've corrected myself, but keep making fun of me. It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Put, I'm not mad. Make sure you're writing the paper how not mad I am. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is going to go long. You're probably right. I know. So, as kind of like a jumping in point, one of the first things I noticed about this is that while at Louisiana, Billy Napier, his offense averaged 30 points a game for all four seasons that he was there. I'm going to use that as kind of a jumping in point for kind of passing it over to Ryan, why did the system work and how was his offense this successful during his entire tenure, really? Um, Willie Napier's offense was really successful because he was really, really good at one thing. Well, not one thing, but he was exceptionally good at the same thing over and over again. Billy Napier is going to bring back smash mouth SEC football because Billy Napier loves to run the ball. He ran. So to contextualize this, he the least amount of running plays he ever like the least amount of like the least the lowest number of times he ever ran the ball in a season if i could speak was his uh 2020 uh 2020 season where he ran the ball 429 times he never passed the ball more than 413 times in any season he ran the ball over 100 more times than he passed all of his four years at louisiana and picked up over 15 or 20 over 15 more first downs through the ground than through the air every single year, which is kind of even more rare than running the ball more often. Like there, there have been some teams in the sec that run more often than they pass. I believe Ole Miss the last two years under Lane Kiffin has done so, but to I would think more, Florida probably is in that category this Florida season actually, as well. No. Florida, actually not Florida over the last few weeks wound up uh, the passing kind of overtook um rushing again mostly because florida has been losing a lot and when you lose you throw yeah, they go down that makes um, sense you have to pass uh but um in all of those seasons it's it's 
as rare as it is to find a team that runs more often than it passes now, it's even more rare to find a team that picks up first downs through the ground more often than through the air. Um, but so that's been the biggest thing. Uh, Billy Napier is the 40, 43rd best rushing offense in the NCAA this season in Louisiana so far, uh, averaging about 190 yards a game on the ground, which is actually his lowest total in his four years at Louisiana. Uh, he averaged a ridiculous 257 yards per game on the ground in 2019, which is really kind of his, uh, at least statistically on offense, his magnum opus at Louisiana was that season. The three main takeaways I really had in that article, um, one being how often he ran the ball, two, how often Billy Napier kind of uses committees as like a, like a group approach. And part of this ties back to he had a lot of talent that either he developed or brought in at Louisiana um, he's had three running backs, uh, Raymond Calais, Trey Rogas, and Elijah Mitchell over the course of his four years. And I believe all three of them made an NFL roster to some capacity, uh, whether it be a practice squad or an official uh, 53 man. Um, but uh, in each of his last three years, he's had at least four players rush the ball at least 50 times. Uh, in 2021, he has four players with 80 attempts or more. Um he consistently has a bunch of guys that he just like throws in and out. He's, he's only like, despite averaging probably about 220 rushing yards a game over his tenure at Louisiana, he only had two thousand yard rushers in four seasons. He had Elijah Mitchell in 2019 and Trey Rogas in 2020 or 28, uh, 20, 2018. I apologize. And Rogas is the only one who ever had more than 200 attempts in a season. So Billy Napier like pounds the ball over and over again. But he never really like he doesn't use bell cows or like have one guy that really utilizes the offense. And for Florida, that should be fairly nice to hear because next year, Florida, even losing Damian Pierce and Malik Davis, who are two of the like, especially Damian Pierce, one of the better running backs in the SEC in the country. Um, Florida's gonna have Naquan Wright, Demarcus Bowman, and Lorenzo Lingard just kind of sitting there for next year. And those are three guys, especially Lingard and Bowman, that have been fairly fresh in college and haven't really gotten much, much room yet. And I would, uh, even though Billy Napier did say, and all of this has to come to the context of Billy Napier did say that Florida is going to play complimentary football in his press conference. He said that his style of Louisiana is kind of less important than what sets up Florida and their players best for success. So he might just show up and be like an air raid offense. If he really likes Anthony Richardson's arm, who knows, but uh, based on his past principles, I don't think that's really going to happen. The fact that he, even if you look at the years he was with Nick Saban, um, he was a offensive analyst in 2011 when Alabama just beat everybody by not letting them score um, and running the ball down their throats. And then he was a wide receivers coach that was responsible for some of the better wide receivers they've had over the last few years. Uh, Levy helped land and coach uh, Calvin Ridley and Amari Cooper. But um, outside of that, like he was, and this is not to devalue his work with Alabama because he still did an incredible job with that wide receivers room. He was like out of the six years, five years he was with Bama, four of those years at least, Bama was a really run-heavy team. That was really before Nick Saban's offensive renaissance that came with Tua and Bryce Young that kind of moved him back towards the like offensive passing explosion he's had and Mac Jones. Um, but, yeah, like Napier's always kind of been involved in more run-heavy teams despite his involvement with the quarterback play and the um, – and wide receiver rooms over the past, over his uh, past 10 years. I think that uh, despite the numbers lending themselves towards like a really run heavy offense, uh, which I think could benefit Florida. Like, I don't think this, like you said, Ryan, he said he's going to play complimentary football to whatever works with Florida's roster. I don't think necessarily this style of offense, like I think it could be, complimentary towards Florida and I think like like you said with that with that group of running backs that Florida already has like this style of offense especially because Florida just losing a head coach it's what happens Florida's gonna have a lot of transfers in between this season and next Mm -hmm. um you might be able to convince some more running backs to stay with this kind of offense especially with the idea that the ball is going to be shared amongst all the backs in Napier's offense but I do like that Napier makes it clear he's going to stay complimentary to the team. I think one of the biggest critiques with uh, Mullen, especially this past season, is that he would uh, he would often defer to the wrong branch of the offense and then 
when that didn't work out in the middle of games, uh, the adjustment just wouldn't get made or it wouldn't get made in time. Um, you know, words are words. So, you know, it, it always, it will always come down to what we see in Napier's actual game plan. But the fact that he's aware of the fact that you have to be complimentary and that you'll want to, uh, you know, adjust to the team's strengths leads me to believe that uh, he will make those adjustments. Um, the biggest thing to me of importance here, just talking about Napier's run heavy offense, if this is the direction uh, Florida is going to go, they have to get to work on recruiting, especially in terms of the offensive line. Uh, as many people know, um, Florida's offensive line recruiting has been subpar over the past couple of years under John Hevesy. And th- that's been a point of concern for a lot of Gators fans and a lot of Gators media. And so far, Nap- uh, so far I'm just really impressed with the, with Napier. He, he seems to be trying to put a bandaid feels like the wrong word. Cause when people say that they, they usually say it's it in not- a negative context, like it's a temporary fix, but he's like putting the band-aids and all the things that Florida fans didn't like about Dan Mullen. Yeah, no, that was especially the line of scrimmage. You actually kind of like segued into my next point perfectly. Um, if you were frustrated with John Hevesy, you are probably going to enjoy Billy Napier if he does what he is intended, intending to do. Because one of the points that he brought up, um, in order for a run heavy offense like he had at Louisiana to be successful, they needed to have a very, very good offensive line every year. And Mm -hmm. he's even said that he's like the offensive line is going to be one of his biggest focuses. He's going to have two offensive line coaches, which is fairly uncommon in the country. And he even said like, you can't contend for national champion. I'm paraphrasing him, but you can't contend for national championships without a strong line of scrimmage. And you can't on both ends, but specifically on the offensive line, you can't be the program that Florida is trying to be and have subpar offensive line play, which I think is kind of the point that everyone was raising during the Mullen and Hevesy tenure. Like, Right. All four years was like, look, like you can have the greatest wide receiver room in the in the conference and you can have the best quarterback quarterbacks. In the conference, but if if Georgia and Bama bully you on the line of scrimmage, they're going to win, even if they have less like less impressive skill players. They'll just have more time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe against like smaller schools, but, you know, again, in in conference play during Florida season this year, I don't know if they were in control of the line of the line of scrimmage once. Mm-mm. No, I, I agree with that. And I think that you saw that as the year wore on, that rushing attack that Mullen was getting so much credit for over the first four weeks of the season just kind of gradually became less and less impressive as the year went along. Um, and whether that because whether that's because Florida was having to pass more. Um, actually, I did another breakdown on this. Um, Flor- uh, Florida did um, – Florida averaged about – 300 yards a game on the ground through four weeks and over the last eight games of the season they only averaged about 160 140 like somewhere in that like 150 range but they were only running the ball eight less times a game they went from averaging 43 attempts for about 300 yards to about 35 attempts averaging about 145 yards so like that production dropped in half on like 80% of the carries. So Florida's rushing game really lost a lot of its teeth as the year wore on. And I think you made a good point about that, Jackson, when they got to, obviously Alabama was a, turned out to be an exception to this rule, but like when they got to the SEC and faced more physically impressive teams, they just felt like they lost control of the line of scrimmage all the time. Whether that was because Emory Jones needed to keep scrambling or needed to evade the pocket, or they just couldn't really establish the running game the way they probably really wanted to. Yeah, no, the offensive line, if, if Napier's offense goes in this direction and, you know, in a general sense, just because, like you said, this has been a huge concern for these past couple of years is how is Florida supposed to compete with, you know, nationally touted programs without a good offensive line? Um, time will tell. You know, it's really just going to come down to who Napier hires to run his offensive line because that's who's going to be overseeing the recruiting of his offensive line for the most part. Obviously, Billy Napier is a very hands-on recruiter. He'll be well involved in that as well. And then, if you know, it comes down to what they do on the recruiting trail, you know, which offensive linemen they can pick up because Florida's offensive line recruiting has not been exceptional 
in the past couple years. And when you're an SEC team, that's what your recruiting needs to be is exceptional. I don't think you needed to specify offensive line recruiting. Yeah, I mean, recruiting in general has been pretty yeah. pretty bad. And Napier's certainly not being um he's being proactive a, about it. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's not being a slouch about getting to work on recruiting. He he's been taking multiple visits already, but he has a lot of uh work ahead of him when mm-hmm. it comes to rebuilding the staff and recruiting new players to Florida. Well, yeah, as I'm oh, sorry, go Joe. I mean, if you were going to add something to that, go ahead. I was going to try to move us I was along. Gonna, I was going to segue to my next point. Ryan trying to take over the show, man. Who's I the am. host here? Who's the host Listen, here? I'm the one staring at my statistical like, little spreadsheet. So I, Here's I the thing. I, I'm going to let him go because I don't want to, like, move on, and then he never yeah, gets I don't to wanna, point. I don't want to break off from his statistics before this we get This better be the... good. No, yeah, so this the, is a lot of pressure. The, the, the last statistical point I really wanted to bring up, um, Florida, whether it's – more than likely going to be Anthony Richardson or somehow, some way it's Emory Jones in 2022, which I'm sure if I can feel the shuddering of Florida fans, if they're listening to that and thinking Emory Jones is still going to be the quarterback. Um, Billy Napier loves to get his quarterback involved in the ground game too. And for two pretty dual threat running backs, I mean, Levi Lewis, who is um, like Napier's two-star quarterback recruit the last few years, who's been back-to-back second team, all Sun Belt the last mm-hmm. two seasons. He hasn't rushed the ball less than 50 times since he took over as the starter. And he's like, he's managed like 900 yards on the ground and 13 touchdowns over the last three seasons. If you have a guy like Anthony Richardson sitting in your garage, like he is, I don't want to say wasted, but it's nice to know that Billy Napier is probably a guy who is not afraid of getting him involved in the ground game. Yeah. AR, he's 236. Like, the man's built like a running back. You can just—he's going to be able to run the ball well and he's healthy. That's true. But you think of the three guys that you already mentioned a little while ago in the running back room, and then you add possibly some recruiting and stuff like that. Before the pod, we were talking about the recruitment of Trevor Etienne and the fact that Florida is now in his top three. That could be a possibility of a guy that's coming here. That would be um, huge for Florida. It would be really huge. They still got to beat out Clemson, which is a tough task with Clemson his- and Trevor Etienne. Not only is it just a great program, but his brother just you know, just as yeah, a bonus, yeah. he went there. Yeah, was only a outside Point. chance at a Heisman while he ran. You know, no big deal. Yeah, it was only set like every ACC record in the book. <laughs> Travis was insane. He was so good in Clemson. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking now- about running backs. I want to just move over as we start kind of going through the assistant head coaches, associate head coaches, coordinators, all the different guys that have already been hired by Napier. We've got a couple different announcements already. The first one I wanted to run go into is Jabbar Jaluki. I'm pretty sure it's how you pronounce his name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Nailed it. I believe. Good job, Joe. Woo. Gold star. Pros pro. He's come on from Louisiana. He's come over with Billy as the running backs coach and the associate head coach on the offensive side of the ball. Ryan, if you want to go into kind of some of his background, I know we were talking about it earlier. He's got some cool connections to LSU, some pro running backs, and Elijah Mitchell, as you've already said. Yeah, so Jabar Jaluki since 2016. Um, so I guess I'll start in 2016 before anything else. Um Actually, no, I'll start with his tenure at Louisiana, and then I'll go back to LSU. Um, so in his tenure at Louisiana, I already mentioned that uh, Napier's run-first guy, uh, Ragus, Calais, Mitchell, all of them went up on uh, NFL rosters at some point, which for a Sunbelt school in four years is a pretty impressive factory you're kind of churning out. Um, but every point that I've made about Billy Napier having the running back by committee approach applies to Jabbar Jaluki as well. In 2019, he had three different running backs amass over 800 yards, including Elijah Mitchell's um, 1,100, like 1,150 yards that he uh, picked up that season. Um, he's had, like, basically every year that he was at Louisiana, he had some kind of impressive idea of a committee, whether it was three guys over 800 yards or two guys over 900 yards or four players over 500 yards, like, he consistently churns out yardage with a bunch of different people. And I think uh, the, I mean, you mentioned Eliza Mitch, Elijah Mitchell, 
Um, Mitchell's development has to be one of the biggest selling points in Napier and Jaluki's uh, resumes. Um, Elijah Mitchell came to Louisiana as a two-star wide receiver prospect, proceeded to make two straight first-team all-sunbelts, all um, picked up over 4,000 all-purpose yards, and now he has, as an NFL rookie, he's starting for the San Francisco 49ers and has almost 900 yards from scrimmage in nine games that he's played. So Elijah Mitchell came into Louisiana as a nobody who was playing a different position and they turned him into a fantastic running back. That is uh, not only one of the best running backs in the Sun Belt, but one of the best running backs in the country. And now one of the, like one of the more impressive running backs in the NFL as a rookie. So um, was Elijah Mitchell drafted before or after Trey Sermon or was he drafted at all? He was drafted. I think it was after because Trey Sermon was like that dude. After yeah, because like if you look at the 49ers like running back room, like they have Raheem Moster, who is always dealing with injury stuff and is dealing with that this season. And then Trey Sermon was like Believe the bell cow back guy. at Ohio State. So a big name in that running back class last year going into the draft. And then Elijah Mitchell was just like, no, this is my backfield. Yeah. Well, and like has really owned it. Everyone thought Trey Sermon was going to be the guy and Elijah Mitchell was really just kind of taking it over, which granted Kyle Shanahan does a lot of weird stuff with his running back room. But uh, fair enough. So Elijah, Elijah Mitchell's done that. And then going back to uh, he's uh, Jaluki the year before um, Louisiana was at Texas Tech for a year where they averaged about 150 rushing yards a game. But before that, he was at Louisiana State, LSU, the LSU Tigers in 2016. If you don't remember the 2016 season, that's when LSU had both the first team and the second team All-SEC running backs. Leonard Fournette, who was the number five pick in the draft, as Joe, I'm sure, fantastically remembers, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I'm sorry, Joe, I can see the pain in your eyes. Um, I also was pretty sure he was number four. He was number four, actually. Was he? Or four, he, was he was four. He was four. fourth? Ah. He was four, and then the year either before or after, the year before was when they picked Ramsey at five. Hold on. Now, now I need to know if I'm right. No, he was fifth. He was? No, he was fourth. You're right. That's what I'm saying. He was fourth. Ramsey was fifth. Okay. So the website I'm looking at has it wrong. I so know not, what year fact, my Jags drafted players that literally don't play for them anymore. It's a fact error, but it's not my fact error. It's the Louisiana Raging Cajuns website's fact error. They have him as number five. I just read it and accepted it. Um, Ryan, you want to know how I know that uh, Leonard Fortnette was drafted fourth by the Jacks? Because Joey Bosa Corey went Dav- fifth? No, no, because Corey, Corey Davis went fifth. Right. The Titans. Bosa was third the next year. Um, Bosa was third the next year. But Western yeah. Michigan's finest, definitely deserving of a top uh-huh, five NFL uh-huh. draft pick well, by the Titans. You probably, you probably wish you still had him now with uh, Julio and A.J. Brown out for the last month. I don't um, because the season just ended for core surgery. <laughs> right. Um, Titans but, are great at evaluating the health of players in the yes. pros. Let's go. <laughs> just put a band on it. Bring Adrian Peterson. We back. love the Tennessee Titans front office. Thank you, John Robinson. Just the Jaguars back, are good at nothing. That's all I'll say. Bring back Adrian Peterson. Um, but uh, so Leonard, Leonard Fournette, despite having a bunch of injuries throughout conference play, still managed about 850 yards and eight touchdowns in just seven games. Enough for second team All SEC honors. He was beaten out by his teammate Darius Geis, who in his absence compiled over 1400 yards and 11 touchdowns. Um, so between the two of them, about 2300 yards and uh 19 touchdowns over the course of one season. Um, George Deluki had a pretty has a pretty impressive resume in both Fournette and uh, not not both Fournette and guys. I didn't see guys. I don't know if I really want to see Darius guys's Twitter anymore. Um, but Leonard Fournette did tweet his support when he, when uh, Jaluki was announced as uh, Florida's new running back coach. So I think we talked about this before the pod. Uh, if Napier could have brought anybody with him from Louisiana, I probably would have picked Jamar Jaluki. Interestingly, you're talking about that backfield in Jaluki as running backs coach against. LSU, one of the more famous plays in the last couple of years from Florida football in that 2016 season was when Florida clinched a berth in the SEC title game because Darius Geis could not pick up one more yard on fourth and goal. That that goal line stand in Baton Rouge from Florida. I just remember that that whole thing happened. And it's interesting now that Jaluki, as the running backs coach on the opposite side of the ball, 
trying to punch it in against that Florida um, defensive line is now in Gainesville coaching the Gators backs. Small world. Small the circle world. of life. <clears throat> yeah, I love the Jaluki hire. Yeah, uh, I think it's definitely the most impressive one. Now, if we transition to that, to sorry, I'm taking Joe's job again. I'm the host now. Um, transition to that to maybe the hire that we were all least impressed with, maybe potentially. I wasn't least Tony? impressed with. I'm not necessarily. Listen, I like. I'm not unimpressed by Pat Tony. I just wasn't yeah. expecting it. Like if you show me the list of UL Lafayette's staff, and uh, we as if anyone who's listening to this podcast knows, I'm terrible at predictions. So maybe I should have told you something. But when I looked at that list, my expectation was that um, Michael Desmoreau, the new head coach at UL Lafayette. Um, Napier would take him to Florida because he's also the recruiting coordinator at UL Lafayette. So he just seemed like he was a big part of that system. Um, I thought he would come with Napier to Florida and leave their other offensive coordinator. The name is escaping me right now. Um, Tim Ledger, I think. Um, leave him to take over the reins at UL Lafayette and for Patrick Tony to co- continue his role as the co-DC and associate head coach at UL Lafayette and basically the opposite happened um I don't know in terms of in terms of Napier's guys I like Jaluki he's got great experience he's an incredible recruiter and developer um we'll get to it in a second probably but he also hired Mark Hawk the same thing you know a lot of experience uh great developer but Patrick Tony's definitely the most unproven um UL Lafayette is his biggest job by far well until Florida and um I don't know it's just concerning like there's really just not much you can say about him he's a great recruiter out of the state of Louisiana that's probably one of the big selling points that um you can make on Tony and the second biggest selling point is probably that he's not the only defensive coordinator to be heading to Florida or at least that's what I think just because they place the co-DC title on him before hiring another DC. Yeah, that was one of the more interesting things of the of all uh, all the developments that announced were announced on Monday. The fact that Pat Tony was announced as co-defensive coordinator, I really wonder what that means Florida's going to go uh where Florida, what direction Florida's going to go moving forward with that second person in the room. Yeah, I mean, it was me and Joe talked about this on last week's podcast, but our biggest candidates for that job was obviously uh well our three biggest candidates that we talked about were Jim Knowles who just got hired at Ohio State um Brent Venables who just got the head coaching job at Oklahoma and Doug Belk who is the last guy quote unquote available on on that board but I don't even know if last week he was available just because Houston has invested so much of their time and money and like just they put a lot of faith into Doug Belk and Doug Belk is in the position where in two to three years, he'll either be the head coach at Houston or he'll be a head coach at a, at a, at a power five program. So I think he might take like the Napier route and wait for the job for him. And I don't know if UF is something he'll consider the job for him just because he would have to work next to a young DC like Tony. And another concern with that is that he coaches Belk coaches safeties at Houston and Tony is picking up safeties at Florida. Although Tony has coached linebackers in the past and uh, Belk has coached defensive backs in the past. So it's not entirely impossible, but I don't think Belk is going to be the second guy at Florida. It does not seem that uh, Belk is going to, it doesn't seem Belk is going to be the guy, but actually looking at, I'm sorry. I'm just like looking back at Tony's defensive numbers. Looking at Tony's defensive numbers is actually fairly impressive. Uh, just read them off real quick. Uh, like, he finished. Uh, it was uh, according to this article, which I'll have to. I will double check. Um, uh, right now. Hold on. So he was uh, Louisiana's defensive coordinator uh, this year. Let me just make sure this article is right before I just go citing it. Yeah, Louisiana's <laughs> Louisiana's 11th in the country in uh, yards allowed per game. Uh, this year um so and they averaged 18.3 points per game um do you know where they're at in 
third down conversion percentage because that's like the biggest thing I was looking at for for the defensive coordinators. Yeah, consider, that, that, hey, you, that's, don't, want that's the, you what, don't want the repeat. No, I don't want a repeat about. of third and Grantham. Uh, and thir- well, 38th. the biggest thirty eighth isn't bad. Thirty uh, eighth in the country, they are uh, two spots above Florida. So not super impressive, especially because the other candidates that were supposedly on the board were all top twenty five in third uh, down well, conversion percentage. Considering Oklahoma Houston and Oklahoma State were top five. Both. Oklahoma then, State was second, and Houston was, was fourth. I'm pretty sure. I'm not seeing them on. Oh, Houston was first. <laughs> oh, Houston was first. Cool. <laughs> they wanted to. They wanted to, and then Clemson's a little bit further down at like 23ish. I don't. I, believe, I don't think. I don't but, think Venables was ever going to leave for anything but a head coaching job. But agreed. I didn't know. I didn't really know the state around his job interests, but. That was the biggest thing I was looking at. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing Florida is going to look at uh, as they make the search for their co-defensive coordinator role is a guy who's going to hold down third down. But honestly, I'm at I'm at a dead end on where like where Florida should look for their co-defensive coordinator. Yeah, the rest of the coaching search will be interesting because it seems like that all of these the four guys that have already been announced were all announced on the same day, right around the same time. And they were all the guys that Billy was bringing with him from Louisiana. So it seems like this is the end. That was the end of that group of the guys that were coming with him. So now it's where else is Billy going to go get guys from and bring yeah, the real recruiting from. search definitely starts yeah. here. These were all decided. Um, and then that also goes to another point that I know we wanted to talk about was how many guys we know that Billy likes to have large staffs. He's especially when you already are saying that you're going to have co-defensive coordinators, associate head coaches, co-offensive coordinators and stuff like that. When at Florida, it was, it used to be pretty cut and dry of there's one defensive coordinator, one offensive coordinator, stuff like that. Yeah. When a QB analyst is your, is one of your day one hires, uh, yeah, that's when you know your when that's when you know your staff is going to be big. Mm-hmm. And then we've also looked at it in Napier's contract. The amount of money that he has to spend on these guys is, if I'm correct and remember right, I'm trying to pull it up too. It's, it's upwards of north twelve billion dollars, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It's like I think it's around twelve and a half, thirteen ish million. And like the it's, way it's, it's worded is interesting because it's like. There's like seven and a half of it are goes to actual coaches, and then the other five goes to like support, support staff, staff and recruitment. Yeah. yeah. So they're getting, but, but it really just that means recruiters and nutritionists and like analysts, and yeah, like just get to work. Like, do the basically what Florida said to Napier is we saw how you rebuilt UL Lafayette, we could use something like that. But we're on a bigger scale, so here's a lot more money to get that done. Which yeah, is good because you look at what Georgia's doing and what Bama's doing, which is obviously what UF is striving to be, playing in the same league. Any, they want any to, team that's competing it, for a national championship. That's they who want, want that's who Florida wants their contemporaries to be. And at this point where their program is, that's they're not their contemporaries at this point the amount of money that Bama and Georgia give Saban and Kirby to go recruit and do anything they want in the facilities they have Florida is at the point where they're playing catch up with facilities and everything at this point, they're yeah. also Strickland in this contract. You can see he's obviously kind of changed his mind in, in a way and kind of gotten in tune to the fact that, there's got to be a lot of money flowing into the program for results. It's how college football is working right now because the big schools are all doing it. Well, Strickland is changing his mind because he knows if he doesn't, he's next out at Florida. Oh, yeah. This so, coach has to – Billy has to work for Strickland. This has to – and I, I think it will. I honestly think uh, Billy Napier has the potential to say, save Scott Strickland's job. Like this could be – if it all works – perfectly it could be like one of his best hires 
as an AD. Yeah, I, I, think think so. I, I, I walked out of that press conference, the introductory press conference, looking over to Michael and I was like, I don't see a way this guy fails. I just don't. I think that's it's, the I think vibe I got from everybody that watched that or was there. Was that? Yeah, I mean, that's people were just through. impressed. It's been three days, but he's done all the right things. Like I lo- like even with Tony, like I just like I like his thinking with all the moves he's making. And I know a lot of people are going to be upset that uh, certain UF assistant coaches are going to have to go. Like Greg Knox will obviously be replaced by Jabbar Jaluki. And then Wesley McGriff is going to be probably I guess, Patrick Tony is who you could call uh, McGriff's replacement. Who knows if they'll spend more money on secondary coaches beyond Tony. They probably will because they have it. But uh, uh, player favorite, the, Nick Savage. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest thing was Nick Savage. Um, but the guy who's replacing Nick Savage is Mark Hawk. And I think best beard ever. Best beard ever. And that's all you need to know. Football yeah. guy. Nothing else. Matters. No, I think he's a beard. I think it's like this was the one that like you were gonna have to sell Florida's current players on is because they spend so much time with their strength and conditioning coach. And obviously the guys at Florida love Coach Savage. They fought for him to keep his job. Um, but I also think they fought because they knew it was coming and that the inevitable was here and that the staff was going to have to get changed around. And Mark Hawk's going to be the guy to keep them bought in because, you know, he spent six years at Bama. He was Jimbo's guy at FSU. He spent a year at Texas A&M, not with Jimbo. Not with Jimbo, the year, the year before Jimbo, which is very strange. Uh, he's just, he's, he's just a guy who like is – in a championship level program, he's a strength and conditioning coach as a as a key piece that doesn't get talked about enough, and he's a championship level strength and conditioning coach. Agreed. Yeah. No, he spent like again the better part of half, like over half a decade with Bama. Worked with Kirby Smart. He's worked with Jimbo Fisher. He's worked with Napier the last four years. Like this guy has a hell of a resume. And yeah, and then another uh, smaller hire that I think is probably not going to get talked about, but is still important is Ryan O'Hara, uh, the QB analyst at UL Lafayette. He's also coming out with Napier. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to play a small role in the offense, obviously just a QB analyst, but he was partly responsible for Levi Lewis, uh, UL Lafayette's breakout quarterback, like you said, Ryan. Uh, mm-hmm. That was Levi Lewis's thirty or uh, 3,000 yard passing season. Jesus, 30,000 yards, 3,000 yard. <laughs> That'd be a hell 3, of a 000, season. 3,000 yard passing season at ULF was the first one ever for the school. Like no quarterback has ever thrown 3,000 passing yards in a season before Napier and Ryan O'Hare got control of that QB room. So I think these are good. He basically, the guys he brought over were – the guys who are going to fill the positions of like the most cemented Florida assistant coaches. Napier wanted his guys to be in the positions that were closest to his position. And so I really think the last question mark replacement before Napier should just have his free will with the staff is Tim Brewster. I'm curious to see where they'll go with that alongside who's going to accompany Patrick Tony, of course. What do you mean about Brewster? Well, he announced on Twitter he's not gonna be yeah. okay, returning yeah. to the team. Okay, I, I just I, think I couldn't. I couldn't. It sounded like you almost phrased it. You're like, oh, I'm interested to see what he does with Tim Brewster. I'm like, he did something no, 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 with no. Tim Brewster. He no, fired yeah, Tim I, Brewster. I understand he <laughs> like, fired Tim Brewster. I, what I mean is that I, the Tim Brewster is a great recruiter for Florida, and the players love him. And I just think, uh, like he's the last guy who you could have made an argument for staying at Florida. Um, that uh, Napier still has to replace. And then other other than that, he probably just has free will to hire whoever he wants. Yeah, 100%. I don't – yeah, I don't I – don't, I don't really know how to follow that up. Um, yeah, I don't know how to – I mean, we've gone through all the staff. We can talk mm-hmm. about recruiting. I think the biggest thing is uh, – Yeah, there's some pretty big news in recruiting last night. Finding a quarterback to replace Nick Evers in his class – um, that was really weird, wasn't it? I was when I, I think I was shocked. The group chat is where I first learned about. I was in shock. Like I had to stop what I was doing and be like, "This is a joke, right?" I mean, like, this, Nick, this, 
this is a guy who's he's been in Gainesville. He's recruiting for he's recruiting for Dan Mullen. He's taking that's the biggest thing visits. is like he also he tweeted that he he tweeted that he was still committed to the Gators after Mullen got fired, and then he tweeted something in support of Billy Napier four days ago. And then Billy Napier made an in-home visit with him and then visited him at his high school. And three hours later, Evers decommits. That's the also, biggest thing. Uh, is... J- Jaden Gibson just decommitted. No like, way. While we, while we were sitting here. Yeah. Oh, Anna Burrow just sent me the text. Didn't he just commit the other week? He, he just doubled down the other week. This probably is reactionary towards Evers, right? Maybe. I mean, it's also part of it too. Like he was told, like he was recruited by one coach and then that coach is gone. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not blaming Like, obviously that's a, that's a fine reason for players to decommit. It happens all the time. Like it's just the business of college football, I suppose. Um, It's just weird, especially with, not with, not so much with Gibson, especially because I feel like, Nick Evers being the lead of the recruiting class and then dipping out is probably not reassuring also, to the rest of Florida's recruits. But Evers, like Evers is also like Florida's churned out a lot of good receivers. It's not a devalue Jaden Gibson. Jaden Gibson's really good. Evers mm-hmm. is the kind of quarterback prospect that you don't get every class. You yeah. don't get the four star top eight quarterback in the class every single recruiting cycle. No. So I mean, not, yeah. Like that was that part of the thing. Like I've been talking about last year's. I'm going to talk about Emory. I was like, like, like it's fine because the next four years, I think Florida starters are going to be AR, AR, Evers, Evers, and now it's not going to be that. And yeah, they still have, they still have Carlos Del Rio, but like that's like that's the kind of guy you don't just like you don't just like happen to get. This is just a crushing blow for Florida's recruitment trail because yeah, I mean you go through Evers' Twitter and like before his decommitment, every other tweet is like a retweet of somebody's top three where Florida's in it. And he's like, you know what I think you should do? He just, he just quote tweeted Isaiah Bond five days ago when he put out his top three or top five and was like, you should go to Florida. Uh, yeah. He retweets um, like every Gators official visit that ever takes place. He, he was definitely like the moral, uh, like he was the poster boy of, of Florida's 2022 recruiting class. Yep. And now he's gone. Like, the recruiting class is going to it's they're going to have basically before Evers decommitted like he was him still being there was what was keeping me from being like Florida has to go ground up on their recruitment class now before I was like they kind of have to go ground up but they have ever still he should attend you know he should help maintain some of the other recruits they don't have that anymore this is going to be really really difficult especially with Gibbs I mean that's a blow I didn't that the fact that it's happening right now is pretty crazy yeah, Gibson's it's definitely really going to be tough to replace. It's definitely tough to think about the outlook of what this next class is going to look like now with Billy getting in and kind of hitting the ground running, but doing so late, starting late. But you at least got to give him some credit for <laughs> less than a week into the job going and sitting down in the kid's living room. Like, if he's going to yeah. decommit, like, like my 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 biggest point on this is like I think Evers is a casualty that a lot of Florida fans probably didn't expect. You brought in Napier because you expected him to go scorched earth on everything within the program, including mm-hmm. the 2022 recruiting class. Like it's a big blow to lose a guy like Evers, but this is the kind of stuff that kind of has to happen. For I mean, granted, you didn't have to lose Evers. I'm very curious to see how that all went down. Again, Napier's I'm a very such an interesting story. Is how does he how does he go to his home and then to his game and then, and then I mean, two two things happened. Either Napier straight up walked into Nick Evers' house and was like, "The offense is going to be very different than what you committed to," and I don't know how you're going to feel about that, but that's the truth, and I'm leaving that decision up to you, or he walked in there and tried to sell Evers on the team and Evers was unimpressed. And yep. I don't know which is worse. I mean, if you're Florida, you have to hope that he just didn't like Evers. Yeah. I like mean, that's a prospect yeah. because if, he, if he's trying to, if he, if he tried to pitch to Evers, who'd been the most all in on Florida of any prospect I'd ever seen. And Evers was like, I don't know if I'm going to go here anymore. Yeah. That's and you couldn't so pull much it more, off. That's, that's so much more unimpressive. Yeah. Um, which with Napier's recruiting track record at Louisiana, I'm not overly concerned that that was the case. But if it no, is, I think it speaks to the UF situation quickly. more. 
agreed i also um, some, uh i saw someone tweet i can't i can't verify this because i was not on the twitter space but i saw someone tweeted that on a twitter space um nick ever's mother said that the rebuild at florida might take longer than fans expect yikes so maybe his parents were in his ear about it too yeah i mean, I mean you don't want to i mean that's what, you that's don't want to throw there to do maybe like florida might not be a national title theme in 2022 or 2023 that's a not i i'd probably expect that and yeah, so that's not like that's not a hot because, take. Yeah, that's not a no. hot take at all. So if you're Evers, like, do you want to go somewhere that might not win you a title through your senior year? Like, I get it. It's just like it was just surprising. It was flooring. Why say you're going to that? Like, why? I don't know. I just don't know. I think Gibson may be because Florida's. Do you know where Florida's leaning on Billy Gonzalez right now? No, I haven't heard any announcements. I'd be shocked if he sticks around. I have heard I've heard whispers that every coach except Christian Robinson has cleaned out their, their office. So I would okay, expect well, that Gonzalez is gone. Gibson C- put out, is the only one that might stick around. Gibson put out two tweets in support of Billy Gonzalez, so that may be the yeah, reason that, he's the, 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 those are the two coaches that recruited him, Mullen and Gonzalez. If they're gone, why would he stay committed? That's fine. Actually, I don't know. The Everzing is so, so confusing. Especially the Everzing is weird to me. Especially because Napier was in his house. Like, how, he was there. How do, he, how do like, you lose that? Oh, to be think, a fly on the wall. Do you think, like, how did that even get set up? Was it Napier's decision to go see Evers? Did Evers, like, want to see Napier so we could let him know in person he's decommitting from the public? Like, maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be a I number of like things. It's, it's just I feel so like odd. it's got to be Billy saying out of the guys that if he hits the ground running on the recruitment trail, you look at Evers and that's, it's the quarterback. It's the the big guy that you're going after in that class. It's the first guy you got to go talk to. Do you think any of this has to do with the fact that I've seen this going around Florida Twitter and I don't know if I agree with it or not. Do you think any of this has to do with Napier thinking he can somehow pull Walker Howard from LSU? Oh, I don't think um, just out of respect. I mean, he was his first offer and uh, uh, Napier was Howard's first offer at UL Lafayette. I think Napier seems like kind of a guy who like wants to stick on his own thing. He doesn't want to like pick from other teams. Like he doesn't seem like that kind of, you know, I just think he probably left Howard alone at LSU until I, I don't think Howard received a call from Billy Napier until after Everest decommitted. It'd be kind of a baller move, though. But I just don't think he would take that risk. I mean, it's your first couple of days on the job, and your first decision is, oh, I'll know. I'll let our biggest quarterback recruit decommit because I think I can land a five-star at Florida. Like, the math just doesn't add up there. I just don't think Napier would think like that. I think if you – Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it's I think it's a bit kind of grasping at straws and trying to, like, pull something down that, like – I, I mean, feel... it's like, what can you – I understand what you're like. I don't think that that's like, I don't think it's the direct cause that that's why Evers decommitted or that's why all that kind of fell apart with the way it all played out. But it's definitely a direction that Billy could turn now. It's a factor now is yeah, but I don't, especially that LSU now has uh, a different man leading their program as well. Yeah. We were talking about it and I was looking through, his Twitter account and it's all Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly. It's like that's what Nick excited Evers for him. That's what and Nick I, Evers did. And then that's, what Nick Evers that's what I was did. saying. We were just talking about Nick Evers, and it was just like, yep, yeah, didn't even go matter. Get, go get Quinn Ewers out of the portal. <laughs> go get Spencer Rattler out of the portal. Oh hell no. Pass. <laughs> Rattler. <laughs> He's Rattler. going to UCL. Rattler. 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 I don't know how to pronounce guys' names. I just read them. No, go get Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, baby. Run it back. <laughs> no, I think – I don't know if – I think yours is uh, is, uh, is going to go to Texas Tech. Um, He just visited Lubbock the other day, and I think he seems keen on it. That would be the biggest quarterback prospect Texas Tech's had in a while. Even Mahomes wasn't a huge guy when he got there. No, I mean, I, I my I, in my personal opinion, I always thought Ewers should have stuck it out when he originally committed to Texas, even despite the turmoil that happened while he was committed. 
Um, I think that's what Texas, again, not the topic of this podcast. I'm sorry to interrupt. I think that's what no. Texas has kind of been missing is like that. I feel like if you get one like top five guy from Texas, a lot of stuff kind of falls back into place. But well, let's look. That looks like what yours is trying to do. Like when you, people talk about yours coming to, coming to town, like they always mention other players that he was friends with or teammates with in high school that are also in the transfer port. Like it seems like you were just kind of like trying to build his own program like yeah his own super team basically and right now like on his list of top three i don't know i think his top three destinations were texas texas tech and uh i can't remember the third team oh a&m it was a&m um and i think texas tech probably just has the most potential to do what yours wants there but that's not the point of this podcast uh oh I don't know. I I literally have no idea what to think about the U.S. situation or the Everest situation because it was so unexpected. Like I just didn't expect him to decommit. Nope. Yeah. No. It's um. This recruiting class is going to get worse before it gets better, and that I mean Billy Napier said that he's like, look, early signing day might suck. Like early signing day is not going to be what Florida fans really want or expect because I have ten days to make this work. Um, yep. He said January or February might be more exciting and they might manage to land some bigger people there that are uh, either uh, a little bit wavering in their commitments or uncommitted. But he did say that early signing day, like he's coming to this game real late. He's he's pulling from a different pool. Like these aren't guys that he's been talking to at Louisiana. I don't think we want him to bring the guys he was talking to at Louisiana. He's he's trying to like meet these five stars and develop a relationship with them in like a day when other people have been talking to them for months. So, yeah, no, he yeah. has to He's going to have to do a lot to build his uh, recruiting pool, especially at Florida, because right now, like you said, Ryan, his Rolodex is filled with people from UL Lafayette, and that's not what you want at Florida. Although he could do the same thing he's doing with Walker Howard and go through and find a bunch of great players that he was their first offer and shoot them a text. Yeah, right now Florida's recruiting class is dwindled down to eight guys total. What rank is that in uh, two four seven? I don't have a ranking. I just have a total number of let me, guys let me currently up. committed. Which I is want, didn't, want, didn't want, Napier say at his to, press conference that if he didn't have twenty five in his class, that Florida would be well, looking for think, a new head coach? I, I do think this year is an exception to that rule. But he said <laughs> year year in year out, if he can't get twenty five good guys to come to Florida, you need a new coach. Um, so I want you guys to guess where Florida's national recruit. Jesus, I want you guys to guess where Florida's national recruiting rank is right now. Fifty sixth in the country. That's probably even being generous. Joe, seventy two. Uh, it's actually fortieth. Guess where it is in the SEC. Let dead last. Fourteenth. Dead last. So well, they got uh, dude. Florida has worse recruiting than Vanderbilt right now. They have three four-stars and three five-stars. Can we talk about how insane that Florida's dead last in the SEC and 40th in the country, that all 14 SEC teams are in the top 40 in the country? That's still kind of crazy. That's pretty impressive. Um, But still bad for Florida. (laughs) So so out of those recruits, Florida has – let's see. So out of those eight recruits that – uh, Joe mentioned Florida has three defensive linemen, three offensive linemen, a kicker, and a linebacker. That's what you need to build a winning football uh, cramp. Now that's a team right there. Zero skill position players on offense. They got Trey Smack, who's a three star kicker. Oh, there we go. I remember when Trey that was huge. It was huge because everyone thought they were going to get McPherson's little brother. It was like a five star, and then Dan Mullen was like, "Nah, this kid." His He's last one's cool though. Trey yeah, Smack, shout out yeah. Trey Smack. I'm sure he'll be think, great at Florida. Think of all the stuff we can do as writers. Although I do, I do want to give Mullen kind of credit though. When he when he grabbed Tony Livingston, he was like a mid three star prospect, and now he's like a four star. So Livingston's kind of rising. Jaden Gibson just jumped a, a, like over like a like forty positions in the national ranking or something like that. And uh, now he's gone. <laughs> so, damn. Um, but yeah, I don't really know. Hold on, I'm gonna look. Last thing I'm gonna do, uh, because I can, 
can feel how long we're going. Yeah, I can um, Gators Twitter's started. just Gators Twitter's just spiraling right now. Everybody just oh, seems to all's mentions just like this is the worst thing to ever happen to Florida ever. Similar so, to this podcast, Gators Twitter is sputtering out. So out of the top <laughs> out of the top recruits in Florida, three of the top ten have not committed and they all have a hundred percent crystal balls on two four seven. So the top like undecided prospects are Keon Sav and Azariah Thomas, who uh, Azariah Thomas did just get visited by multiple Florida head coaches. Um, so we'll see. Um, and then the next highest is Jaden Gibson. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, there's definitely fighting a bit of an uphill battle. I do think this 2021 recruiting class now, granted you have to hold like, it's, it's a touchy thing to do because, like, you want to hold – like, if Napier visited Evers twice, you want to hold that against him. But at the same point, these are players that committed to coaching staffs that are no longer there. It's not – it might not always be fully in Napier's control if they want to – if they committed to a school rather than a coaching staff. So it's kind of an interesting debate, and this recruiting class is going to be uh, – Florida fans are going to have to be patient with Billy, and I think this recruiting class might just have to kind of be a wash. No, definitely. I, th- I think I think the sins of the 2022 class are more on Dan Mullen than they are on Billy Napier. Yeah, it'll That's... it'll take a it'll take a rational Gator fan to feel that way, but which most Florida fans are not. That yeah, they aren't. <laughs> I'm talking to you, Dad. <laughs> he's gonna be like, he's he's been here for a week and these guys are all leaving. What's wrong with them? And I'll be like. Well, you see, you know, and then I'll explain what exactly what you just said, and then he'll be like, "Nah, nah. they should all stay. They should all stay." Nah, it's like, we're okay, the Gators. There uh, isn't <laughs> an un- an uncommitted quarterback in the top fifteen of the class of twenty twenty two. Just uh, other just than a, Nick Evers, other than Nick Evers, who is <laughs> at ten. the The first the, the first uncommitted quarterback on the 24 seven rankings is Taylor Bailey. And he, uh, I don't, I really don't know. And he's a hundred percent crystal ball to Oregon right now. So. Yeah. If someone's a hundred percent crystal ball to Oregon, that means they're not really in the. It means they just made a lot of money. Sc- they're not in the same recruiting scope. <laughs> they're not in the same recruiting scope. <laughs> as cool is. That one took me a second. Can I say that? Can I say that? <laughs> Listen, man, I'm not your boss anymore. Technically. What am I going to do? Fire you? No. Jackson's unfiltered. Oh, no. (laughs) Jackson after dark. You know, we were going to talk about maybe a bowl game prediction, maybe a next season prediction. But I think I'm going to make the executive decision (laughs) that to end this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) to end this, because this has gone on for a hot minute. NFJ, NFJ, no fun, Joe. No fun, Joe. Uh, no my bowl prediction though. is that Florida loses. My bowl prediction is also that Florida loses to UCF, and we're never going to hear the end of it from Florida Twitter. For, you know, well, if we're going quick, I game, also think Florida loses. There we go. My prediction for the bowl game, I think Florida loses to UCF, and Florida Twitter somehow blames Billy Napier, even though he's not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Napier and will be out recruiting. And Florida fans are going to be like, why didn't we get Gus? <laughs> He's Nick Evers is going to tweet about the game, even though he just Nick Evers is going to commit to UCF. UCF's <laughs> going to hang up a banner. <laughs> Beat Florida. Gasparilla Bowl. Gasparilla Bowl champs. It's going to be in the bounce house for the rest of forever. Cemented in history. We joke about UCF being a, a sad program, but Florida's on the same level or worse than well, UCF right my, now. My, my main concern with Florida football game is they're going to be coached by coaches who all know that they're fired. Yeah. Like, uh, that's, a really, that's a really weird <laughs> Not one dynamic. coach is fighting for their job. Yeah, <laughs> they know really they've weird, lost. That's a really weird dynamic. Of like, okay, all of you are not coming back, but we need one more game from all of you. Well, it's also and interesting that a lot of practice. Florida's roster knows they are. they also aren't coming back to Florida next season. It's going to be so interesting to see who all plays in that game because if they don't announce that they're going to the transfer portal before the game, you can see who plays and doesn't play, and you'll get a pretty clear picture of who's going to be here and who's going to not be. AR is the only lock, I think. I don't even know if that's true. I literally don't even know if that's true. (laughs) 
I can't even tell you for a hundred percent fact. We think we know things. AR AR tweeted, "Scared money don't make money." So I think he's going to say Nick Evers tweets daily about Florida. He just listen, man. Nick 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 Evers. (laughs) I don't have I don't have trust anymore because Nick Evers has betrayed me. So now I have lost all my trust. Jackson has trust issues. This is just therapy. I have trust issues from Nick Evers. Joe, weren't you going to end the podcast? Like, yeah, we're, like, like, I think, <laughs> Jesus, this Joe, was the last I was, semester. I was going to try to. What kind of show are you running here, Henry? Last part of the semester. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening.